Section 3 of State of the Union Addresses, 1869 through 1876. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ulysses S. Grant, December 5, 1870, Part 2. Our depressed commerce is a subject to which I called your special attention at the last session and suggested that we will in the future have to look more to the countries south of us and to China and Japan for its revival. Our representatives to all these governments have exerted their influence to encourage trade between the United States and the countries to which they are accredited. But the fact exists that the carrying is done almost entirely in foreign bottoms, and while this state of affairs exists, we cannot control our due share of the commerce of the world. That between the Pacific States and China and Japan is about all the carrying trade now conducted in American vessels. I would recommend a liberal policy toward that line of American steamers, one that will ensure its success and even increased usefulness. The cost of building iron vessels, the only ones that can compete with foreign ships in the carrying trade, is so much greater in the United States than in foreign countries that without some assistance from the government they cannot be successfully built here. There will be several propositions laid before Congress in the course of the present session looking to a remedy for this evil. Even if it should be at some cost to the National Treasury, I hope such encouragement will be given as will secure American shipping on the high seas and American shipbuilding at home. The condition of the archives at the Department of State calls for the early action of Congress. The building now rented by that department is a frail structure, at an inconvenient distance from the executive mansion and from all the other departments, is ill-adapted to the purpose for which it is used, has not capacity to accommodate the archives, and is not fireproof. Its remote situation, its slender construction, and the absence of a supply of water in the neighborhood leave but little hope of safety for either the building or its contents in case of the accident of a fire. Its destruction would involve the loss of the rolls containing the original acts and resolutions of Congress, of the historic records of the Revolution, and of the Confederation, of the whole series of diplomatic and consular archives since the adoption of the Constitution, and of the many other valuable records and papers left with that department when it was the principal depository of the governmental archives. I recommend an appropriation for the construction of a building for the Department of State. I recommend to your consideration the propriety of transferring to the Department of the Interior, to which they seem more appropriately to belong, all powers and duties in relation to the territories with which the Department of State is now charged by law or usage, and from the Interior Department to the War Department, the Pension Bureau, so far as it regulates the payment of soldiers' pensions. I would further recommend that the payment of naval pensions be transferred to one of the bureaus of the Navy Department. The estimates for the expenses of the government for the next fiscal year are $18,244,346.01 less than for the current one, but exceed the appropriation for the present year for the same items $8,972,127.56. In this estimate, however, is included $22,338,278.37. For public works heretofore begun under congressional provision, and of which only so much is asked as Congress may choose to give, the appropriation for the same works for the present fiscal year was $11,984,518.08. 
the average value of gold as compared with national currency for the whole of the year of 1869 was about 134 and for 11 months of 1870 the same relative value has been about 115 the approach to a specie basis is very gratifying but the fact cannot be denied that the instability of the value of our currency is prejudicial to our prosperity and tends to keep up prices to the detriment of trade the evils of a depreciated and fluctuating currency are so great that now when the premium on gold has fallen so much it would seem that the time has arrived when by wise and prudent legislation congress should look to a policy which would place our currency at par with gold at no distant day the tax collected from the people has been reduced more than eighty million dollars per annum by steadiness in our present course there is no reason why in a few short years the national tax-gatherer may not disappear from the door of the citizen almost entirely with the revenue stamp dispensed by postmasters in every community a tax upon liquors of all sorts and tobacco in all its forms and by a wise adjustment of the tariff which will put a duty only upon those articles which we could dispense with known as luxuries and on those which we use more of than we produce revenue enough may be raised after a few years of peace and consequent reduction of indebtedness to fulfill all our obligations a further reduction of expenses in addition to a reduction of interest account may be relied on to make this practicable revenue reform if it means this has my hearty support if it implies a collection of all the revenues for the support of the government for the payment of principal and interest of the public debt pensions etc by directly taxing the people then i am against revenue reform and confidently believe the people are with me if it means failure to provide the necessary means to defray all the expenses of government and thereby repudiation of the public debt and pensions then i am still more opposed to such kind of revenue reform revenue reform has not been defined by any of its advocates to my knowledge but seems to be accepted as something which is to supply every man's wants without any cost or effort on his part a true revenue reform cannot be made in a day but it must be the work of national legislation and of time as soon as the revenue can be dispensed with all duty should be removed from coffee tea and other articles of universal use not produced by ourselves the necessities of the country compel us to collect revenue from our imports an army of assessors and collectors is not a pleasant sight to the citizen but that of a tariff for revenue is necessary such a tariff so far as it acts as an encouragement to home production affords employment to labor at living wages in contrast to the pauper labor of the old world and also in the development of home resources under the act of congress of the fifteenth day of july eighteen seventy the army has gradually been reduced so that on the first day of january eighteen seventy one the number of commissioned officers and men will not exceed the number contemplated by that law the war department building is an old structure not fireproof and entirely inadequate in dimensions to our present wants many thousands of dollars are now paid annually for rent of private buildings to accommodate the various bureaus of the department i recommend an appropriation for a new war department building suited to the present and growing wants of the nation the report of the secretary of war shows a very satisfactory reduction in the expenses of the army for the last fiscal year for details you are referred to his accompanying report the expenses of the navy for the whole of the last year i e from december one eighteen sixty nine the date of the last report are less than nineteen million dollars or about one million dollars less 
than they were the previous year. The expenses since the commencement of this fiscal year, i.e. since July 1, show for the five months a decrease of over $2,400,000 from those of the corresponding months last year. The estimates for the current year were $28,205,671.37. Those for the next year are $20,683,317, with $955,100 additional for necessary permanent improvements. These estimates are made closely for the mere maintenance of the naval establishment as now is, without much in the nature of permanent improvement. The appropriations made for the last and current years were evidently intended by Congress and are sufficient only to keep the Navy on its present footing by the repairing and refitting of our old ships. This policy must, of course, gradually but surely destroy the Navy, and it is in itself far from economical, as each year that it is pursued the necessity for mere repairs in ships and Navy yards becomes more imperative and more costly, and our current expenses are annually increased for the mere repair of ships, many of which must soon become unsafe and useless. I hope during the present session of Congress to be able to submit to it a plan by which naval vessels can be built and repairs made with great savings upon the present cost. It can hardly be wise statementship in a government which represents a country with over 5,000 miles of coastline on both oceans, exclusive of Alaska, and containing 40 million progressive people with relations of every nature with almost every foreign country to rest with such inadequate means of enforcing any foreign policy, either of protection or redress. Separated by the ocean from the nations of the eastern continent, our navy is our only means of direct protection to our citizens abroad or for the enforcement of any foreign policy. The accompanying report of the Postmaster General shows a most satisfactory working of that department. With the adoption of the recommendations contained therein, particularly those relating to a reform in the franking privilege and the adoption of the correspondence cards, a self-sustaining postal system may be speedily looked for, and at no distant day a further reduction of the rate of postage be attained. I recommend authorization by Congress to the Postmaster General and Attorney General to issue all commissions to officials appointed through their respective departments. At present, these commissions, where appointments are presidential, are issued by the State Department. The law in all the departments of government, except those of the Post Office and of Justice, authorizes each to issue its own commissions. Always favoring practical reforms, I respectfully call your attention to one abuse of longstanding which I would like to see remedied by this Congress. It is a reform in the civil service of the country. I would have it go beyond the mere fixing of the tenure of officials of clerks and employees who do not require the advice and consent of the Senate to make their appointments complete. I would have it govern not the tenure but the manner of making all appointments. There is no duty which so much embarrasses the executive and heads of departments as that of appointments, nor is there any such arduous and thankless labor imposed on senators and representatives as that of finding places for constituents. The present system does not secure the best men, and often not even fit men, for public place. The elevation and purification of the civil service of the government will be hailed with approval by the whole people of the United States. Reform in the management of Indian affairs has received the special attention of the administration from its inauguration to the present day. The experiment of making it a missionary work was tried with a few agencies given to the denomination of friends, 
and has been found to work most advantageously. All agencies and superintendencies not so disposed of were given to officers of the Army. The Act of Congress reducing the Army renders Army officers ineligible for civil positions. Indian agencies being civil offices, I determined to give all the agencies to such religious denominations as had heretofore established missionaries among the Indians, and perhaps to some other denominations who would undertake the work on the same terms, i.e., as a missionary work. The societies selected are allowed to name their own agents subject to the approval of the executive and are expected to watch over them and aid them as missionaries, to Christianize and civilize the Indian, and to train him in the arts of peace. The government watches over the official acts of these agents and requires of them as strict an accountability as if they were appointed in any other manner. I entertain the confident hope that the policy now pursued will in a few years bring all the Indians upon reservations where they will live in houses and have schoolhouses and churches and will be pursuing peaceful and self-sustaining avocations and where they may be visited by the law-abiding white man with the same impunity that he now visits the civilized white settlements i call your special attention to the report of the commissioner of indian affairs for full information on this subject during the last fiscal year eight million ninety five thousand four hundred thirteen acres of public land were disposed of of this quantity, 3,698,910.05 acres were taken under the Homestead Law, and 2,159,515.81 acres sold for cash. The remainder was located with military warrants, college or Indian scrip, or applied in satisfaction of grants to railroads or for other public uses. The entries under the Homestead Law during the last year covered 961,545 acres more than those during the preceding year. Surveys have been vigorously prosecuted to the full extent of the means applicable to the purpose. The quantity of land in market will amply supply the present demand. The claim of the settler under the Homestead or the Preemption Laws is not, however, limited to land subject to sale at private entry. Any unappropriated surveyed public land may, to a limited amount, be acquired under the former laws if the party entitled to enter under them will comply with the requirements they prescribe in regard to the residence and cultivation. The actual settler's preference right of purchase is even broader and extends to lands which were unsurveyed at the time of his settlement. His right was formerly confined within much narrower limits and at one period of our history was conferred only by special statutes. They were enacted from time to time to legalize what was then regarded as an unauthorized intrusion upon the national domain. The opinion that the public lands should be regarded chiefly as a source of revenue is no longer maintained. The rapid settlement and successful cultivation of them are now justly considered of more importance to our well-being than is the fund which the sale of them would produce. The remarkable growth and prosperity of our new states and territories attest to the wisdom of the legislation which invites the tiller of the soil to secure a permanent home on terms within the reach of all. The pioneer who incurs the dangers and privations of a frontier life and thus aids in laying the foundation of new commonwealths renders a signal service to his country and is entitled to its special favor and protection. These laws secure that object and largely promote the general welfare. They should therefore be cherished as a permanent feature of our land system. Good faith requires us to give full effect to existing grants. 
the time-honored and beneficent policy of setting apart certain sections of public land for educational purposes in the new states should be continued. When ample provision shall have been made for these objects, I submit as a question worthy of serious consideration whether the residue of our national domain should not be wholly disposed of under the provisions of the homestead and preemption laws. In addition to the swamp and overflowed lands granted to the states in which they are situated, the lands taken under the Agricultural College Acts and for the internal improvement purposes under the Act of September 1841 and the Act Supplemental thereto, there had been conveyed up to the close of the last fiscal year, by patent or other equivalent title, to states and corporations, 27,836,257.63 acres for railways, canals, and wagon roads. It is estimated that an additional quantity of 174,735,523 acres is still due under grants for like uses. The policy of thus aiding the states in building works of internal improvement was inaugurated more than 40 years since in the grants to Indiana and Illinois to aid those states in opening canals to connect the waters of the Wabash with those of Lake Erie and the waters of the Illinois with those of Lake Michigan. It was followed with some modifications in the grants to Illinois of alternate sections of public land within certain limits of the Illinois Central Railway. Fourteen states and sundry corporations have received similar subsidies in connection with railways completed or in process of construction. As the reserved sections are rated at the double minimum, the sale of them at the enhanced price has thus in many instances indemnified the Treasury for the granted lands. The construction of some of these thoroughfares has undoubtedly given a vigorous impulse to the development of our resources and the settlement of the more distant portions of the country. It may, however, be well insisted that much of our legislation in this regard has been characterized by indiscriminate and profuse liberality. The United States should not loan their credit in aid of any enterprise undertaken by states or corporations, nor grant lands in any instance unless the projected work is of acknowledged national importance. I am strongly inclined to the opinion that it is inexpedient and unnecessary to bestow subsidies of either description, but should Congress determine otherwise, I earnestly recommend that the right of settlers and of the public be more effectually secured and protected by appropriate legislation. During the year ending September 30, 1870, there were filed in the Patent Office 19,411 applications for patents, 3,374 caveats, and 160 applications for the extension of patents. 13,622 patents, including reissues and designs, were issued, 1,010 extended, and 1,089 allowed but not issued by reason of the nonpayment of the final fees. The receipts of the office during the year were $136,304.29 in excess of its expenditures. The work of the Census Bureau has been energetically prosecuted. The preliminary report, containing much information of special value and interest, will be ready for delivery during the present session. The remaining volumes will be completed with all the dispatch consistent with perfect accuracy in arranging and classifying the returns. We shall thus at no distant day be furnished with an authentic record of our condition and resources. It will, I doubt not, attest to the growing prosperity of the country, although during the decade which has just closed it was so severely tried by the great war waged to maintain its integrity and to secure and perpetuate our free institutions. 
During the last fiscal year, the sum paid to pensioners, including the cost of disbursement, was $27,780,811.11, and 1,758 bounty land warrants were issued. At its close, 198,686 names were on the pension rolls. The labors of the pension office have been directed to the severe scrutiny of the evidence submitted in favor of new claims and to the discovery of fictitious claims which have been heretofore allowed. The appropriation for the employment of special agents for the investigation of frauds has been judiciously used, and the results obtained have been of unquestionable benefit to the service. The subjects of education and agriculture are of great interest to the success of our Republican institutions, happiness, and grandeur as a nation. In the interest of one, a bureau has been established in the Interior Department, the Bureau of Education, and in the interest of the other, a separate department, that of Agriculture. I believe great general good is to flow from the operations of both these bureaus if properly fostered. I cannot commend to your careful consideration too highly the reports of the Commissioners of Education and of Agriculture, nor urge too strongly such liberal legislation as to secure their efficiency. In conclusion, I would sum up the policy of the administration to be a thorough enforcement of every law, a faithful collection of every tax provided for, economy in the disbursement of the same, a prompt payment of every debt of the nation, a reduction of taxes as rapidly as the requirements of the country will admit, reductions of taxation and tariff to be so arranged as to afford the greatest relief to the greatest number, honest and fair dealings with all other peoples, to the end that war, with all its blighting consequences, may be avoided but without surrendering any right or obligation due to us, a reform in the treatment of Indians and in the whole civil service of the country, and finally, in securing a pure, untrammeled ballot, where every man entitled to cast a vote may do so, just once at each election, without fear of molestation or proscription, on account of his political faith, nativity, of color. Ulysses S. Grant End of Section 3 Recording by E. Winters